This is the Leadership Institute School Board Campaign Training Podcast. I'm your host, Ron Nearing. This year, the Leadership Institute launched this new program for conservatives interested in running for school board or being involved in school board campaigns. Our podcast features faculty members from the new school board campaign training and other expert guests discussing how to design, wage, and win successful school board campaigns. You can learn more and take the program online at leadershipinstitute.org slash school board. Welcome to Learn Right, the school board campaign training podcast of the Leadership Institute. I'm Ron Nearing. And we're joined for another episode of the podcast with Rick Tyler. Rick, welcome to the program. Great to be here, Ron. Rick is a member of our school board uh, faculty and the broader faculty here at Leadership Institute and is a resident of the state of Virginia. Uh, and uh, this episode is dedicated to sharing some of the lessons that come out of the recent statewide election in Virginia, which is the first statewide uh, election that we've had uh, since the 2020 presidential election, and to take a look at that campaign uh, of both the uh, the candidate who did not win the governorship, that was uh, former Virginia Governor Terry McAuliffe, and also the campaign of the victor, Republican Glenn Youngkin, and see what candidates for school board can learn from this recent uh, experience. Rick, this was a pretty big uh, earthquake in Virginia politics, wasn't it? I think it was. You know, the Virginia and New Jersey, as you know, have off-year off elections, so the whole country focuses on those two states because they're the only states that really have significant races in both for governor. And Virginia has been trending blue for about 10 years, and it is often looked to uh, to predict the congressional elections of that always occur in the following year to try to get some, you know, crystal ball what's what happened in Virginia. Can any of those lessons be translated over into Congress? And so this is not just a state election. It's a state election where the entire country, at least all the political people around the country and the, the press are watching it closely. Yes. And sometimes it means something and sometimes it doesn't. And this time was, was interesting for a whole whole set of reasons. Terry McAuliffe ran against Glenn Yonkin. Terry McAuliffe had been governor of Virginia before. Uh, he was not a very popular governor. Uh, and he banked his entire messaging strategy of making a Glenn Yonkin into a, a Donald Trump-like character in the general election, thinking that that would bring the Democrats uh, to vote for him and against Yonkin. And it really didn't work. And one of the undeniable issues that Glenn Yonkin mastered uh, was uh, our public education system because parents are concerned and rightly concerned about maintaining local control of their children's education and parents should be involved in the most local level. And Terry McAuliffe, unbelievably in a debate, uttered the words, I don't think parents should be deciding what schools teach. And, and it was just utterly shocking because not only do uh, Republicans disagree with what Terry McAuliffe uttered about parents shouldn't be making decisions about their own children's education. Democrats agree, <laughs> disagreed with Terry McAuliffe, uh, and it was a real blunder, and it just highlighted what came to be the central issue in the campaign, which was education. And I think the lessons to be taken away from that is Glenn Yonkin recognized that as an important issue. It's, it's an issue that's important not only to parents, but the grandparents, and Terry McAuliffe completely mishandled the issue, and Terry uh, and uh, Glenn Yonkin was on the right side of that issue. So th this is just extraordinary because here we have a southern state, but one that has been trending in a, in a 
leftist direction, driven largely by population changes in northern Virginia, which is a population center uh, of the state. The Democrats uh, were the incumbent party in control of the state. Uh, governor Northam was termed out. Virginia has this one term limit. You can only be governor one term at a time. That is, you cannot succeed yourself. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the Democrats were in charge of the state. Here you had Terry McAuliffe, who was a major fundraiser for the Democratic Party before he ran for governor mm-hmm. the first time and won. So you had pretty much universal name ID in a state that had been trending in his direction, driven by uh, the state politics being driven by northern Virginia and the suburbs around Washington, D.C., which have grown increasingly to the left. And yet, uh, if you were to you know, take a look at, at, at the, just the, the numbers, it would have suggested that this should have been a pretty easy campaign for the Democrats to win, for Terry McAuliffe to win. But yet, not only did he lose, not only did Glenn Youngkin win, but he, the, they also won the lieutenant governor's office and the attorney general's office and picked up seats in the state legislature. So something And will likely big, control the state legislature. It looks that way. So something big happened here to shift that dynamic uh, from what people were predicting early on, which was a you know Democratic victory, into a into a Republican victory. And it turns out that education wound up becoming perhaps the number one issue that people that many voters were thinking about uh, when they were casting their ballots. I think that's true. And some of the training that I've done for LI has been school board uh, teachers. And so often we train, we train a lot, of, we can't train candidates up and down the, the ballot, but there tends to be more focus on, on training members of Congress, uh, people who are running for higher office, state house, and a little less so on the local level, like there's less enthusiasm. I, I've done classes where there was 100 people in the room all running for school board, which is just really amazing because I think conservatives and Republican Party have kind of left that um, up to the states and and although it's a it's a nonpartisan office in most cases and the leadership institute's a nonpartisan and we're a nonpartisan so we train people who want to take a civic role in an activity in running for that but people with conservative ideals have tended not to run for those local offices well of course by default if that happens if people with conservative ideals don't run for school board well who do you think is going to occupy school board seats and i think people are waking up to that and um, and are taking and, and the good news is, uh, often these seats are they're unopposed. Um, the, the the one side you know sort of picks their candidates, they put them up. There isn't a lot of competition for the seats, but now all of a sudden there's a great deal of competition for the seats because there's a real ideological division on the school's role and frankly the parents' role in in educating our citizenry. When people come to politics for the first time, very often what they've learned about politics comes from media coverage. Mm-hmm. And media coverage tends to be very Washington-centric. So naturally, sure. if someone thinks about, well, maybe I want to run for office, naturally many of those people are going to think, well, of course, that starts with running for Congress or you know, I want to run for the Senate. But the reality is that there are, there are literally hundreds of times more local offices in America than there are federal offices, even though they don't get as much attention, but they do have the single greatest impact on your quality of life. If chances are, if your taxes are going to go up, chances are it's local government that's doing that. If your schools are going to be good or bad, that is going to be the result of a lot of locally made decisions. So if you're a conservative and you want to have an impact on the direction of government, running for local office is a great way to do that, to have a very powerful impact. 
And it doesn't require the same level of commitment that's needed to run for run for one of the very few congressional seats that are out there. Yeah, particularly in in the federal office. And and it's it's true. Uh, being a member of Congress can be very frustrating. And I'm sure the Democrats have seen that over the last two years. They had a very well, what they would call a bold agenda, and it was certainly a big agenda, uh, and it didn't work. And um, it it was very frustrating they didn't get it done. But if you want, if you really want to make a difference in people's lives, um, running for office locally and setting the policies for your own school, your own town, or even even the planning and growth board, but particularly for our, our children and our education, I can't think of a, of a more important uh, role having be, being married to a teacher and having a daughter who has a master's in in teaching and teaches the third grade. I have a heart for people who want to teach, and we teach, Ron. I mean, we're teachers. We do by definition. So we have this environment where a lot of people have tuned in to what's happening at their local schools. Uh, you've seen that with concern about curriculum and and whether schools are open or not. It, 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 there's been a tremendous upsur upwelling of interest in, in education and local school boards. And at the same time, Terry McAuliffe, who was the Democratic candidate for governor of Virginia, who everyone expected to win, kind of elevated it further because he said something that he should not have said, and then he doubled down on it. So go, tell us, as since you're a resident of Virginia, you're a voter in Virginia, what did he say, when did he say it, and why was that so damaging as it related to parents and education? Well, let me back up a little bit. Terry McAuliffe's strategy, he thought, was going to be very simple because um, in 2018, the Democrats had a very good year and uh, nationally. And then in 2020, Joe Biden was elected and defeated uh, one-term President Donald Trump. And so the wind was at the Democrats' back. And so Terry McAuliffe came into, well, I'll just run for Virginia because I've been governor before. I know how to do this. And people will elect me because I'm the Democrat in a Democrat state. It seems like a no-brainer, uh, except something changed. And, and the thing that really changed was the Biden administration and its uh, ineptness on virtually every single level, from trade to foreign policy uh, to the response to COVID to inflation. I mean, it just goes on and on. And they were not delivering. That was one. And Terry McAuliffe decided that... It, his sing single message, all he had to do is paint Glenn Yonkin as Donald Trump because Donald Trump had just been defeated, and he'll win. And when that didn't work, and the reason it didn't work was really because of Glenn Yonkin, because Glenn Yonkin was his, his own person. He had his own message, and he also had money to over overwhelm uh, Terry McAuliffe's single message. So when Terry McAuliffe's message of, of Glenn Yonkin is really Donald Trump wasn't working and it clearly wasn't. Instead of shifting gears, he just seemed to double down, as you say. And in a key debate at a moment where people were thinking, okay, we've had Terry McAuliffe as governor before. Um, should we have him for his governor again? And I don't really know this other guy because a lot of people, people didn't know. Even, even Republicans didn't really know who Glenn Yonkin was. And in a debate, the issue of education, which has been a hot topic, particularly in my county, Loudoun County, uh, came up, and Terry McAuliffe decided to create what we call a division or a contrast with his opponent and said that I don't think parents should be deciding what uh, what teachers should be teaching in school. And that's like a 70-30 issue across the political spectrum. I mean, it was a really dumb thing to say, and it just sort of codified 
what the race was about, and people began to think, okay, term, Glenn Youngkin really isn't Donald Trump, whether you liked him or not. He wasn't Donald Trump, and he had a message. Terry had no message. He had one single message, and that is, I'm not Donald Trump, and that was not a winning message for him. So it's very often when people run for office the first time, they're more likely to make mistakes or say things that they regret early on in the campaign than later on in the campaign. When Beto O'Rourke ran against Senator Ted Cruz for the Senate seat in Texas, early on, Beto O'Rourke would take questions from uh, from the audience. But later on, he stopped taking questions from the audience because uh, some of the answers wound up in Ted Cruz's uh, television commercials <laughs> because they were clumsy and so on, particularly about taking a knee uh, you know, during the national anthem at football games. But it was very surprising that Terry McAuliffe, who was such an experienced uh, you know, candidate and longtime political guy in the in the, in the Clinton uh, political operation would make such a clumsy mistake that really cuts across partisan lines. Nobody is going to agree with that statement, that parents should have no role in what's being taught to their kids. I mean, it, it just it, it, it defies common sense. And then for him to double down on that uh, really exposed a pretty big gap uh, between himself and where obviously a majority of Virginia voters were. It is surprising because McAuliffe, is, was not only a, a governor and a principal in his own right, he was a longtime operator. And so he was he's well aware of the pitfalls of, of politics. And the only thing that I would bet as a campaign professional in looking at that is he didn't do debate prep. Like, And debate prep we take very seriously. We spent hours on debate prep, even particularly candidates for higher office, because they think about the issues and they their team develops strategies for when what is said on the stage and what you can and cannot say. And one of the things that would have been clearly in the you cannot say this category would be siding against parents over their children. Right, right. right? So I don't think he did the debate prep. I think he was probably too arrogant to do it and decided to forego it and said he'll be fine, uh, and he paid for it. You and I have both been involved in a lot of campaigns, and debate prep is important regardless of whether you're a new candidate or whether you're an experienced candidate because chances are if you're an experienced candidate, an office holder, you have a ton of information that you could say on any particular issue, but you've got to narrow that down to what's going to be most effective in that 30, 60, or 90 seconds that you have during that debate. And then, of course, going through the exercise of things that I should not say, things that I need to make sure that I phrase correctly, using the right vocabulary, and so on. So, You know what's interesting about that is on the Democratic side, the best person operative to prepare a candidate for debate is you know who it is? It's Ron Klain. <laughs> of course, tell, tell our audience who that is. Ron Klain is now the, is now the chief of staff of of Joe Biden. So maybe perhaps because Ron Klain was, was not available was not available to help Terry McAuliffe, uh, he failed because Ron Klain is an excellent debate prep coach. So I think there are a couple lessons that we can start to take as we talk about uh, what happened in, in Virginia. Number one is that just because all the really really smart people on television or in the local media or in the local culture are dead certain of the outcome of an election, very often those people are wrong. Uh, they were wrong about the outcome of the Virginia governor election. I remember in 2015, all those really, really smart people on television were dead certain that Jeb Bush would be the Republican nominee for president in 2016, and he didn't even make Absolutely. it through the first five years. He raised $100,000 before he even announced. So uh, They also didn't predict Donald Trump's election. Exactly. So I'll admit I didn't either. Is, that e the first lesson is, number one, 
just because the uh, the really smart people in a particular community think a race is not winnable, that doesn't mean that you shouldn't take it on. Uh, because sometimes those races turn into victories. It doesn't mean that you don't assimilate information, but uh, but a lot of these races that some people might dismiss early on uh, wind, up, wind up being competitive. Uh, we haven't talked about New Jersey, uh, but the New Jersey governor election, the Democrat was reelected there, but it was much closer than anyone predicted. And even though the Democrat won, uh, the fact that the election was so close against a, uh, a little-known uh, opponent uh, indicates that there was something else happening in the body politic. So number one, certain make your own decision about running for an office and uh, take into account what other people might have to say. But remember that some races that people might dismiss uh, as unwinnable may wind up being uh, winnable uh, at all. And, and number two is that you might be a challenger candidate running against an experienced incumbent or someone who's a virtual incumbent, as Terry McAuliffe was, uh, and they're going to make mistakes too. Uh, you might be an incumbent, but that doesn't mean you're infallible. And there might be that opportunity uh, for a well-prepared campaign and a, and a strong candidate to take advantage when your opponent says something that need that uh, uh, that uh, that winds up creating a wedge between them and the voters. And the Youngkin campaign was smart enough, sophisticated enough, and and nimble enough to take advantage of what McAuliffe had said and turn it into a bigger deal. It is, it is absolutely true on the, on the local races where you often don't have people who are challenged. So people just occupy the seat. Everybody gets to know them, so they must be unbeatable. But if they've never been challenged, how do you know if they're unbeatable? And the lesson of the 1994 Republican Revolution was in the recruitment. They recruited candidates against people who said they could never be beaten. And the reason they said that is because no one had ever tried. And they beat them en masse. And in particular... You have two two kinds of candidates. A candidate who just holds the seat but doesn't actually want to run for it, like perfectly willing to serve. Uh, but if, you, if they have to compete for it, then it's really not worth it. So there's a lot of those out there. So you'll challenge somebody who just you'll find uh, you'll easily outwork and you can and you can win. And you'll you'll find that other people are just they're not really competent at the job. And people didn't know that because they were never really challenged before. So there's a lot of opportunities, uh, particularly in local races, particularly in school board races, uh, to take on people. Because people don't listen, – listen, people can't name their vice president. So they're probably not going to be able to name their school board members. Um, so you have really a pretty good chance. If you work hard and do well and get your name out there and have a message, and this is exactly what Yonkin had, and that is a lesson from Virginia. Uh, if you take that door-to-door, uh, -door, I think you'll do fine. I have found in my experience that elected officials – very often have a greatly exaggerated sense of how many people really know who they are. <laughs> uh, and, uh, and if you're, you might be an, an incumbent state office holder, like a state legislator in California, you might think everyone knows who you are. Go on a line in Costco and ask 10 people if, <laughs> you know, if, people, if, if you know who your state legislator is. And a lot of those people are, are simply going to say no. It's a little bit humiliating. I remember one time I worked in the Maine Senate for a short period of time. And I talked to a Maine senator, and he was so excited about the budget they were going to pass. And this was going to change everything for the state of Maine. And I guess I was in a cynical mood that day, and I'm not normally. And I looked out the window, and I said, Senator, see that neighborhood over there? He says, yes. I said, can you point to the house that knows what's going on over here in the, in the chamber today? He said, okay, I get your point. <laughs> yeah, so I guess that, that brings us to another lesson, which is don't overestimate uh, the power of incumbency. Uh, if you're a school board member, if you're a, if there's a, if you're a challenger 
running against an incumbent school board member, yes. If that school board member has been elected, uh, then yes, clearly they have, they've gone through an election before, people, a majority of, or a plurality of people pulled the lever for them, but that doesn't mean everyone remembers who they, uh, you know, who their school board member is and so on. I can't recall off the top of my head who my uh, local, I have five uh, elementary school board members. I can't recall any one of them just off the top of my head. I know who my high school board member is, uh, my high school board trustee, because he's a friend of mine and I used to serve on that board. Um, but uh, when you're dealing with these local elections, you're not dealing with uh, you know running against uh, running for an office where everyone knows who the incumbent is. That means there's the opportunity to define yourself. And that's what Glenn Yonkin had to do. He had to, yes, he took advantage of this one mistake that, that uh, Terry McAuliffe said, but if Glenn Yonkin had not already defined himself, in a way where he was positive uh, and an acceptable alternative to the status quo, then it didn't matter how many dumb things Terry McAuliffe has said. He had to define himself first uh, in in ways that connected with uh, a substantial number of Virginia voters. I think that's absolutely true it, because Terry McAuliffe could have run exactly the race he ran and won. I do believe that. Uh, but because Yonkin's campaign was superior, superior in, in messaging, um, he won that. And I think... Uh, while we're encouraging people to run, and I would encourage people to run because there is opportunity and, and you definitely have a chance of winning, is that when you once you do get in the office, and, w- and we hope Glenn also follows this advice, uh, like you, Ron, you've served on, on local uh, offices. you got to show up, you got to go to the meetings, and you got to be a good uh, school board member, and you got to be a, be a good planning board member, and you gotta, you got to do your job, do your due diligence, and then you truly, it really, truly will be hard to dislodge you if you do your office diligently and, um, and, and do it professionally. Yeah, it, it's been said that uh, governing is campaigning by other means, but I don't think uh, that is true only to a certain degree, and that is that if someone does a good job in government, then of course there is a benefit to that because people will see that and, and, uh, and hopefully be approving uh, of that. However, it's a very different world once you are in elected office, mm-hmm. and that's why people should think carefully, not only do they want to run for an office, but if, if you win, do you really want to do that job? Are you prepared to do what that job requires? And you may have a particular issue that, that really motivates you, and that's what gets you fired up, but then once you're in that office, that may not be the issue you get to work on all the time. Uh, for example, if you serve on a school board, and a lot of your time is going to be spent on approving the district's budget, on uh, retaining or finding a new superintendent. Maybe the most important job that a school board member has is being part of the selection process for a new superintendent. Well, that's very time consuming uh, as well, and that may not be the number one thing that, uh, that motivated you. And then there's the time that you have to spend maybe dealing with staff discipline or student discipline cases, which when I was on a school board, we had to deal with that uh, all of the time. Uh, that wasn't the thing that most motivated me to, to seek the office. Uh, because it's p- not particularly pleasant when you're dealing with staff that might b- misbehave or students that might misbehave and so on, but that's part of the job. So it's one thing to run, but you have to be prepared to lose and you have to be prepared to win. That is, you have to mm-hmm. be prepared to lose. That is, if you, if, you, if you enter the race, can you accept a loss? Or would that set you back either in terms of how you feel about yourself or in terms of your broader career, et cetera? Can you afford to lose? And can you afford to win? That is, if you win, 
can you put the time, energy, and effort in to do all of the facets, all the different parts of that job, not just whatever work on whatever issue motivated you in the first place, but all the responsibilities of the job? Yeah, absolutely. I think that's absolutely correct, and I think it's uh, sometimes a surprise um, because governing is probably, has been said, a hundred times harder than it is actually to campaign. It's easy to be a critic of government and the things that don't go wrong. Uh, finding the answers and solutions, is w- which is why we need conservatives uh, to be occupying those positions, is, is much harder because you not only have to implement those solutions, you have to constantly communicate to the community why those solutions are better. Yeah, and that, and that requires work. Uh, it requires doing more than just uh, uh, expressing yourself on social media and the like. When I was on a high school board in San Diego, uh, several days before our monthly board meeting, a messenger would come to my house and deliver uh, a binder that was about four inches thick. And that was all of the paperwork and the documentation that we had to review in advance of the next board meeting. And when I say a four-inch binder, I really mean a four-inch binder. I mean, this every agenda item and all of the supporting documentation for every item that we had to talk about uh, was all published in advance, and we had to review that in advance. That takes a lot of time. That takes serious uh, commitment, and um, uh, and people should be prepared for that. I think that's imp- I think that's important. And Glenn Youngkin, of course, uh, who has not served in elected office before, but is about to, uh, is he's going to be have to jump right into the middle of a pandemic and inflation, all these other challenges, right from day one, isn't he? Yeah, and it, he also has to. He's also going to. Um, have to meet the expectations of because we tend to do that is when we when we win our side or or we, your side someone wins we sort of impart everything we believe <laughs> we put it on place it on them um, and so but he has to govern for everybody and so we have to to see how he's going to navigate this world of of meeting everybody's expectations yeah I th- I think there's a lesson uh, here as well not just for people who are running for office, but people who support others who are running for office, mm-hmm. your activists and your campaign volunteers, once you win, uh, that now elected official is still going to need your support. They're still going to need backup in order to get things done because if they want to affect change, then that means that there's somebody who they're going to upset because there's somebody who's vested in the status quo, who doesn't, who likes things just how they are. And that's why sometimes people might get elected to an office and you don't see as much change as you'd like because the bureaucracy, the special interests, and others who are vested in the status quo—they put up a fight, and uh, and the reform side doesn't always get to win that. And remember, that's the way the system was designed. And if you, it is frustrating, but it's frustrating for both sides. But every time we are frustrated on our side that we can't put conservative policies in place as quickly as we'd like, remember if the system were d- different when the liberals got in charge, then they would put the systems in place as quickly as they like, and so. It all gets back to the same thing. It's communication. So wh- while I say that when you get elected, you have to represent everybody, I really mean that. And that just means you're going to have to communicate better and harder and more to try to convince not only the people who supported you initially that you're doing a good job, but to g- allow people who didn't vote for you, who didn't support you, to say, you know what, I didn't vote for this person. But they are constantly communicating about what they're doing, and, and I've gained a trust and respect for them. And that's your job when you're an elected official. And it's really all about not not just implementing uh, policy, but communicating those policies because policies are very hard to put in place unless the people support them. 
in a constitutional republic of which we have, and that requires constant communication. Well, the founders created a federal system that is then reflected in our state and local government of systems of checks and balances and federalism and so on to protect our liberty. They deliberately made it difficult to get legislation passed. It has to pass one chamber, it has to pass another chamber, it needs the signature of the chief executive or else that has to be uh, overridden with a uh, two-thirds vote to, to override that, at least on the federal level. They may not have that level of support. But that level of, uh, of the, the obstacles and the process that are created to creating legislation are meant to protect our liberty. And we can still make progress, but that requires people to remain engaged even after Election Day. And that means that elected officials have to continually communicate what it is that they're working on, why they're doing that, and ask people to be involved, to show up at a school board meeting, to be engaged, of course, constructively and positively, but to support those people who are trying to make improvements and reforms uh, to back them up once they get uh, once they get, get into the office. And Glenn Youngkin is going to need that as well. I guess that's one way in which Virginia's one-term limit on governor uh, creates a, a little bit of a different dynamic because your political operation probably largely shuts down, whereas if you could run for re-election, you'd, you'd keep that political operation in place, and that could be used uh, you know, uh, uh, beneficially throughout the course of your term. Yeah, and it's true. And because it's a one-term governorship, governors, they're only higher office. They could run for Senate, I suppose, or the... They usually don't go back to running for a House member, but they could run for president. <laughs> so people are actually, after Glenn's win, they're already, they're already talking about him running for president. But let's see how he governs first. I'm willing to give him a chance. Every election uh, out there uh, provides an opportunity to learn. Uh, even candidates who, who are unsuccessful, uh, there are things that can be derived from, uh, from their loss. And uh, taking a look at winning candidates uh, like Glenn Youngkin in Virginia provide great examples uh, as well. This wraps up another episode of the podcast. The Leadership Institute is a nonprofit, nonpartisan foundation dedicated to giving conservatives the tools they need to fight and win in the public policy arena. If you'd like to support our work, you can make a tax-deductible contribution online at leadershipinstitute.org slash donate. I'm your host, Ron Nearing. Thanks for joining us. See you next time.